Amen. Now, I don't know if you know how biblical that last song was. You know, a lot of times we sing songs right out of Scripture. That wasn't one of them. That wasn't quotes, but it was so biblical <laughs> about the Spirit moves, and when the Spirit moves, He does, does what only He can do, and that's a big deal. We need to understand that. Um, we're going to be in John, so go ahead and turn to uh, John chapter 14. If you have a Bible it, with you, great, turn there. If not, there's one in the seat in front of you somewhere close. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those with you. Uh, if you like to do the electronic thing, that's awesome. Use it, but be careful of the play button because it'll read it out loud to you. Where's my wife? She did it last week. <laughs> so um, I have a personality flaw, only one. And it, yeah, okay, I, more, I, have, I have plenty. One of, one of my personality flaws is uh, I can do things by myself. I, I like to, you know, one of those things that I'll say is I can do it. I can get it done. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, I decided I've never aerated my lawn before, so I was going to aerate my lawn. So I went to Home Depot, and I rented an aerator. And the guy, you know, got it worked up, but then he was busy with something else. So I roll the aerator out to my truck, and I look at the aerator. It's huge. I look at my truck, I'm like, I can get in there. And, and so, you know, I tried to, li- no, I couldn't do that. So I turned it around with the handle. I climbed up in the truck and I was going to pull it and I couldn't do that. So I climbed down and I have a flatbed truck that has the rails on it. And I took those off, they're boards. I took them off and I laid them on. I'm like, I can roll it up that. And I, I couldn't do that. So I turned around the other way and I tried to pull it. And I just couldn't, I kept trying until the Home Depot guy came out and he's like, it folds down like this, <laughs> and there's two handles on either side, and together we picked it up and we put it in. I thought, that's a lot easier. Am I the only one that does stuff like that? Am I the only one? Yes. <laughs> am, am I the only one that takes that into my spiritual life sometimes also? That when it comes to life, not just some little project, I think, I can do that. I can get it done on my own, and the result is, is never what it's supposed to be. Turn to John, if you would, because we're going to be looking at uh, maybe people like us who self-sufficiency, we struggle with self-sufficiency. And I wrote in my notes that self-sufficiency is a cancer to a healthy spiritual life. Self-sufficiency is a cancer to a healthy spiritual life. Even the Christian that goes, I can handle it. I can do it. You're on a dangerous path if that's where you stay. Paul, I think, wrote it really well in Romans 7. I'm going to read that before we get into John. But Romans 7, 18, and 19, Paul wrote this. He wrote most of the New Testament, by the way. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can you guys relate to that? As we read the Bible, as we get to know Jesus, as we come to church and we listen to this guy yap and looking at the Bible and we learn, oh, this is the way life should be and I want to do that. And then I try to do it and I fail. And then I want to do these good things and so I try sometimes or maybe I don't try and I feel guilty for not trying. Can you guys relate to that? There's a danger in the church to think we should be perfect. To think we just walk in, you give your life to Jesus and he takes care of everything else, you're good to go. No, there's a a process. We're going to be talking about that process over the next five weeks. But here, even Paul, he's like, I can't do it. What What I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. What's the answer? And the question, is there an answer? And here's the question that's on your notes. 
How can a person live in a way that brings God glory and brings us the greatest joy, satisfaction, and contentment? Both go together. Sometimes we think that life as a Christian is boring and, and awful, but that's what glorifies God. No, they go together. Actually, the greatest life for you is the one that glorifies God the most. And Jesus is gonna share with us how to live this life. Um, in John 14, well, we've been going through John. This is the farewell discourse. This is hours before Jesus is tried and crucified. Judas has left, and so Jesus is left with his 11 disciples, those closest to him, those who are faithful to him, those who will eventually, all of them, die for him. And here Jesus is encouraging them. We looked at last week where Jesus said, I'm going away, and where I go, you can't come now. And they're like, hey, where are you going? And he said, I'm leaving, but someday I'm coming back. And we looked at, at our future that we will, if we are Christians, going to be with Jesus forever and ever. He was comforting them. And here he's going to comfort them again, but he's also going to teach them. He's going to give them some very good instruction that's valid to us as well. And here's the theme. It starts in verse 15. Verse 15, this is John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the theme that runs through this. Do you remember when uh, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Looking at the law, Old Testament law, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest command is to love God. We know that our greatest purpose is to love God. That's why we were created, because us loving God brings him glory. We were made to love God. And he had just gone through in John 13, Love. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, showing them his love, his humility. And he said, just like I've done to you, now you do to others. Our greatest call is to love others. And so he gets in here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The main commandment he's talking about here is to love one another. Keep that in mind. This does include all his commandments. So like everything in here, that includes. But it mainly is talking about the command to love one another. It says, if you love me, see that that condition there. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Does anybody read this and go, uh-oh? <laughs> I do, because I don't perfectly keep his commands. I don't. And I've had periods in my life where I do less and less, and periods where I do more and more. But the question is then, do I love God? Now, I want you to look, because this is a theme he carries throughout. Look at verse 21. This is uh, what Alan read to us. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He says it again in 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Then he says it in the, the reverse in verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. He's saying the same thing four times here in a little bit different ways. What do you think the main point of this passage is? If you love me, you're gonna obey me. The problem is we can't. <laughs> The problem is just what we talked about before. What I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The things I do want to do, I don't do. What's the answer? How can we live in this loving, obedient relationship? Now, as I was going through this, I thought, what does this person look like? What does the person look like that loves Jesus? And I wish I could just describe myself, but I can't. The, the person that loves Jesus, here's, you know, and I, the, re, the way I got this picture was kind of piecing together different people that I know. This is somebody who, is ambitious about spending time in the word. They go to the word, they read it, expecting God to speak to them. 
This is the, the person who willingly serves others, looks for opportunities and lays down their life for others. This is a person who is actively involved in whatever they can find that, that God is doing. Here's, here's one. This is a person you don't see get angry. You really don't. Not much, at least. This is somebody who has, has control of those things. This is someone who, when life happens, and I mean life happens, they go through it with joy and peace. That's this person, the person that loves God. This is what their life looks like. And I look in the mirror and I go, mm, <laughs> I got a long way to go. And so for me, I read verse 15 and those others, but it says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I say, Jesus, I want to, I need help. And he says, I'm glad you asked. And that's what he goes into in, in the rest of this passage. If you love me, you will obey me. You can't. So let's, let's get some help for you. Look at the next verse, verse 16. We're going to mainly focus on 16 and 17, although there's great stuff in the rest. We're going to look at that. Jesus says this, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, love me. If you love me, you will obey me. I know you can't do it on your own, so I'm going to give you some help. And what's the help? The Holy Spirit. Our main topic today as we look at this is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? The life of a Jesus follower will be growing in obedience primarily to this command, but they have to do it walking in the Spirit. This is in your notes if you're a note taker. God has provided his Spirit to help us live loving and obedient lives in line with the Bible. He has provided his spirit. Now, as the church started in the first century, there's always been issues within the church trying to figure out doctrine. The first one was who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Is Jesus not? Is he divine? And, and the church was very, very unanimous. You know, the, all the church fathers, those who were under the apostles, it was very clear, Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is deity. As time went on, then they had to deal with the Holy Spirit. Well, is the Holy Spirit God or is he separate from God? The church again was fairly unanimous. No, the Holy Spirit biblically is co-equal with the Father and the Son. He's a member of the Trinity. Some of the greatest um, problems with the Holy Spirit have taken place really in the last century where people have gone too far with the Holy Spirit and following the Holy Spirit and doing all this without following Jesus uh, these times of getting together and seeing the spirit move, but the gospel isn't part of it. And Jesus isn't shared. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. Not because Jesus is bigger and better or anything. That's just the roles that God is within the Trinity, the Godhead. So I want to focus on the first word there uh, that we focus on. In verse 16, it says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. Another helper. That word another means another of the same kind. So Jesus had just shared with them, I'm leaving, I'm going away. He says, but after I go away, I'll send you another helper, meaning another like me, another just like me, another of the same substance as me. This is like gender. Think of gender. You know, I'm going to send somebody like me. I wouldn't send my wife because she's a female. I'm a, it's kinda, that's kind of the idea of this word, another of the same kind. So the Holy Spirit would be just like Jesus, who would come and do what Jesus had been doing. What had Jesus been doing with his disciples? He was teaching. He was encouraging. He was leading. 
He was their, their life source. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is going to be. The Holy Spirit is a helper. We're going to look at that word. He is a member of the Trinity who is God equal with, yet distinct from the Father and the Son. It's important to recognize that theologically. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. But then it's, it's also important for us to learn what does that mean to us? So what is a helper? We've probably read this a lot. You've probably read these verses about the Holy Spirit uh, being a helper. The word is paraclete, and it's very difficult to translate. If you read through, you know, just look, I don't know if you guys ever use Bible Hub or scripturetext.com. It's kind of cool. Go there and look at all the different versions of the Bible. They translate this word differently. It's helper, advocate, comforter, counselor. Uh, but that's confusing because the word counselor in context here is more of a legal counselor, not a, oh, I hope you feel better, counselor. Um, although he's that too. Probably the best though is a helping presence a helping presence, a paraclete. Somebody who comes alongside to help you do what you want to do, to help you do what you can't do on your own. That's why the helper comes. Like me trying to load that thing by myself, I couldn't do it. I had to have a helper. Just like you, living a life of loving obedience to Jesus, you can't do it, so you need another helper. Another helper. Now, there's a, an assumption here that I want to recognize. The assumption Jesus has, and it's because he's speaking to the 11, knowing it's going to come to us also through Scripture. There's an assumption that this person is pursuing God. There is the assumption that this person is moving forward as a disciple of Christ, wanting to expand his kingdom and know God. The danger in our church today, especially the American churches, is apathy. We think spirituality is coming to church on Sunday. We think that's it, you know, uh, maybe reading the Bible every now and then. But the Great Commission, which lines up with this, when Jesus left, he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. But we have a command, and so the assumption is that as we go, we're going to go, we can't. This is hard. Help us. The apathetic, lukewarm person sitting in church is never going to go, help because they don't need help, because they're not going anywhere. They're not trying to live in greater holiness or obedience. They're not trying to get rid of sin in their life. They're not trying to expand the kingdom, and so they're fine. So he's assuming, and I'm assuming that all of us, want to be, we want to grow. We want God to expand his kingdom in us, and we want to move forward on his mission. So with that assumption, if that's not you, start now. With that, how do we do that? We need help. Now, a helper I think this is really important to notice what he's talking about. I will give you another helper. This helper doesn't do it for you. Have you ever heard this? Let go and let God. There is a lot of confusion in walking in the spirit. And through my life, I've heard this over and over. Walk in the spirit. And if you're bold enough, you'll go, how? Uh -huh. <laughs> Walk. I have rarely heard a good explanation of actually how to do it. You know, there's different theories and forms and whatever, and we're not going to talk about that much today. But next week, we're starting a series, a four-week series on kind of how, um, about abiding. Because the next chapter, Jesus goes into, how do you do this? How do you walk in the Spirit? And he calls it abiding. James, or I'm sorry, John really likes the word abiding. Abiding in Jesus and walking in the Spirit are synonyms. They're the same thing. That's what we're going to look at for the next four weeks, kind of the how. So, but I want to look at the Holy Spirit today, but he's the helper. He helps you do what you can't do on your own. 
Not let go and let God. Not sit there with a bag of Cheetos going, I hope the Holy Spirit does something. It's us moving forward. The example that came to mind was uh, Brendan, and he's not here so I can talk about him. Brendan is our 18-year-old son. Two years ago, he was 16, he got a truck. Uh, This truck had a a power steering pump go out. Um, Great old truck, but the power steering pump went out. He needed a power steering pump. They're very expensive and we didn't want to go to the mechanic and so figuring out how to do it. Now, there's something you need to know about Brendan. He hates being dirty. He hates being sticky. It's always been that way. I remember he was two years old and he was walking up doing this. He's like, sticky, sticky. (laughs) And he stopped playing. The other kids are all sticky and rolling around. He's like, sticky. So he needed a power steering pump. I said, well, it's your truck, you know. And so he called James. If you know James Hyatt, who's good with trucks. James came over with a power steering pump, said, let's put this in. Now, Brendan didn't pull up a lawn chair and go, go for it. Let me know when you're done. That, you know, James came to help Brendan put in a power steering pump, not to put in a power steering pump for Brendan. So it was one of those things where, I don't know if you know anything about power steering, they're really greasy. <laughs> so it was, you know, turn that and pull that and Brendan pulls the thing and it was just all over him, just grease all over and he's like this and, and he did it with James helping. And I mean, in that situation, I think it's a good analogy because James was the brains behind the operation. James was the one that, that knew what was going on. You know, is this tight enough? I don't know, you know, push and James, you know, he could put his hand on top. Is that the right amount of torque? That's kind of what, what the Holy Spirit does with us. We move forward in obedience and he helps. And he helps. I, I hope that's a, a helpful picture. But we pursue God in loving obedience. We pursue by studying the Bible by trying to obey it. But all this is done in a spirit of submission to the Holy Spirit. Some people, and I understand this, some people get scared of legalism. So they go, I'm not going to put any rules on myself because that's legalism. Well, no, can be, absolutely. Legalism is trying to do in your own strength to make yourself right with God. But making some boundaries for yourself is a good thing. Going, you know what? I want to read my Bible regularly. That's a good thing. But then you're going to go, oh, I missed a day. Help. <laughs> and, and, and you might miss days. No big deal. But God will help you as you move forward, attempting to obey. Now, that's the helper. He is the helper. Here's the next question we have about this helper, the Holy Spirit. Does he come and go? Because that's taught. Some churches will teach that he comes and goes. And so you need to, after being a Christian, you need to ask for the Holy Spirit repeatedly. You need a a new anointing. Does he come and go? Well, Jesus answers this for us. He says, I will ask the Father, still verse 16, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. When you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit and he's with you forever. And actually the word here, you, is plural. He'll be with y'all, the church. (laughs) Jesus was a good Southern Baptist. He's gonna be with y'all. I think that's important though, the corporate nature of the church. You know, you take a coal out of a fire and you set it over here, it's gonna cool down and go out. But you keep the coal within the church, other believers pursuing God. You, you stay hot. There's something about the Holy Spirit with us all. Is he in you personally? Absolutely. Is there something unique when we gather together? Absolutely. There is. That's why we come together to worship. That's why we get into groups. So the Holy Spirit can use others to, to speak to me, to help me, to help illumine his word. And it says here... Um, 
he will be, are we in verse 17 yet? Yep, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He will be in you. You ever heard the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart? That's what this is talking about. I, some will get mad at that phrase because that's not in the Bible. But what it means is this, for a kid to understand what happens when you give your life to Jesus, you ask him to come into your heart and take over. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. He will be with you and in you. This is a big deal. This is part of the new covenant. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the new commandment. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. We said, that's not a new commandment. That was in the Old Testament. So what's new about the new commandment? It's given not under law, it's given under grace. It's given under the New Testament, the New Covenant. Have you ever read the Old Testament and seen Moses and Elijah where God appears and God talks to him? You're like, that's awesome, I want that. Ever, ever wanted a burning bush? Do you know that if they could look at what we have, they'd go, that's awesome, I want that. Because what, what we have now, they only dreamed of. We have this new covenant where God is in us and with us. It gives me chills. They didn't have that. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They had the law and they had God, absolutely. But the Spirit would come and go. Samson, remember Samson? Yeah, Samson was rad. But when the Holy Spirit would come upon him, he could do amazing things and then the Holy Spirit would leave. And that was kind of how it worked. Now we have the Spirit all the time, all the time. Jeremiah 31, 33, he was looking forward and he prophesied and he said this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Later, here's what I'm gonna do. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. That's now. Later, I'm gonna write my law on their hearts. Totally different, totally different. The Holy Spirit comes in us. Side note, we can't exhaust the topic of the Holy Spirit, although I wanted to and I was tempted to. I had to delete a lot. But there's three books in the back that I bought. Um, as you get your appetite whetted for who is the Holy Spirit, I encourage you, buy one of those books on your way out. Um, I didn't put the price on it, so they're like 10 bucks. But there's several from three different authors. They're really good. Um, anyway, look at those. But back to here. Looking at this, this new covenant, you know, we're no, on, no longer under law and instead of doing what we should, we now get to do what we want. And I think that's important. Jeremiah prophesied, he said, I will write my law on their hearts, meaning he will change what we want to do, and then he will help us carry out what we now want to do. God doesn't violate our will. He converts our will. I hope you get that. He doesn't make you do what you don't want to do. He changes what you want to do. How do you know you're saved? You, you more and more love what God loves. You more and more desire what God desires. That's what happens in a saved person because the Holy Spirit is in them going, hey, you should want this. You should want that. And so he changes what we want. I think sometimes, here's, here's my problem. A lot of times when teaching or preaching, you know, I want to convince people that they need Jesus. I want to convince people that walking with him is the best. But the Spirit in them is way better than me. And the, if you have the Spirit in you, the Spirit's gonna go, you should want that. <laughs> you should you know, want that. And so the spirit helps desire and walk it out. Here's, I think, one of the best verses that describes this. And it's in Philippians. 
Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You don't have to look it up. Paul writes this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen, this is a hard word, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not workspace salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you both to will and to work. So we need to put the effort into this life, but our effort is in letting God do it. That's really hard to get. And I know that. And it's going to take practice in life. But he says, Work out your salvation. Put effort. Don't just sit on the couch and hope God does something, but work it out. But it's God who changes your desires. He'll give you the desires and he'll help you work it out. The Holy Spirit is involved in all of this. And one of the worst things we've done in the church is removing the Holy Spirit from what's going on. We don't ask the Holy Spirit to be present. We don't ask the Holy Spirit to take control and us submit. The Holy Spirit lives inside every believer in a unique way, empowering them to love and obey. I read you at the beginning, Romans 7, where Paul said, that which I don't want to do, I keep doing, that's what I do what I do, I can't, you know, all this is wrong. He goes on in the next chapter to give the answer to that. Although this is the case, I can't do it. He says, thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus has set me free. And in Romans 8, 1, he says, no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So although we struggle with sin and our flesh, you're not condemned. Meaning, don't go, oh, I sinned, I'm not saved now. I better be better. That, he says, no, that's not it. You're saved. Even though you might struggle with sin, you're saved if by faith you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. And now you walk, chapter 8 in Romans, you walk by the Spirit. That's how you live this out now, walking by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 says, uh, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen, and here's, here's where we can argue. This will be fun. You can, if you're walking in the Spirit at all times, you can walk in a way that glorifies God at all times. So one of my mentors, Bob Burroughs, you've heard him speak. Many years ago, we were sitting there. I was speaking out at camp, and he said, he said if Jesus is on the throne of your life, will you sin? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm human. I don't think I've ever gone a day without sinning. He said, if Jesus is on the throne, which was his way of saying, if you're walking in the spirit or if you are abiding in Jesus, will you sin? Well, I have to look at the Bible and go, no, I won't. But let's get a little bit real. We're still in our flesh. We're still gonna struggle with sin. And so we can have peace. Paul gives us peace that you're not gonna live this out perfectly, okay? He knows you're gonna sin. Later, John will write, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. <laughs> so he knows that we're going to struggle with sin, but we should be pursuing God and pursuing walking rightly. But the only way we'll have success is in the spirit, which he will give not only the power to do it, he'll also give the comfort when you fail, that you're still right with God. He'll also comfort you. You know what? You, you made a mistake again, but you know what? I knew you would and I love you anyway. Let's do better tomorrow. I'll help you. And that's the state that we can live in. Pursuing God, receiving help. And when we make a mistake, we don't wallow in guilt, but we go, sorry, God. And we move on knowing we're still accepted. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week as we get into chapter 15, but it's great. Now let's look forward. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me 
no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Here's the big point that we want to see in those. He says, because I live, you also will live. This is all possible because Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus died and stayed dead, none of this would, would be possible and our salvation would, would be worthless. It wouldn't be salvation. Because he lives, we will live. Because he died and he rose from the dead. Look at verse 20. In that day, you will know. He's probably talking about in that day, the day that he rises from the dead and appears to them. That's probably what he's talking about here. Specific to them. I'm gonna appear to you alive in a new body. And he did do that. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you and me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He's really reiterating all the things he said before. If you love me, we're going to come dwell with you and in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. It says it different ways in scripture. Jesus says, I will come live in you. The it says the father will live in you. It says the Holy Spirit will indwell you. That's all kind of a different way of saying the same thing. That he will dwell in us and with us. Now look at verse 24. He says it reverse. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. The authority of what he just said is not his own, but from the father. Meaning we can trust what he just said. And, and, and we might not like this, but what he's saying is there's no such thing as an unconverted Christian. There's no such thing as an unconverted Christian. One of the most dangerous things that we have said is that you can be saved, but not be a disciple. You can be saved, but not actually want to follow Jesus. The Bible does not teach anywhere that a person can be saved, but go, obedience? Nah, no desire. Love Jesus? Eh -eh. I just want to be saved. Just give me my, my ticket to heaven, my fire insurance. But yet so often, We've probably heard that comfort. Well, so-and-so has never walked with Christ. We've never seen any evidence in their life, but they prayed a prayer when they were six, so they're good. That's a dangerous, that's dangerous because that's not what the Bible teaches. Can we as Christians wander? Absolutely. Should we not look at others and go, oh, you're going to hell because I see all this? Absolutely, that's not our role. But for us, it's important to look at ourselves and go, there's no such thing as an unconverted Christian. The person who loves God will attempt and fail all the time <laughs> to follow, to walk in the spirit. The person who never has the desire to obey, who does not love Jesus, is not part of him. That's what he's saying here. And it's a heavy truth and it's difficult. But obedience is proof of love. And I just put in my notes, this is helpful for us. Our obedience is messy and inconsistent. We're not going to be perfect. I, I have Christians often come up and go, I'm not sure I'm saved because I'm struggling with this sin. And they're all bent out of shape about this sin. And I go, that's a really good sign. So you hate that sin. I hate it. So you want to walk with Christ. I do. Great. I, I think you're good. <laughs> You've got the Holy Spirit. You're good. Now let's just learn how to walk in the Spirit. Let's stop doing this. I'm not saved. I need to go be saved again. I need to get baptized again. No, let's, let's move past that and go, now let's learn how to walk with Christ. Let's learn how to get past the milk and get into the meat of the word and move forward. I, I hope that's comforting. <laughs> As we look in the mirror, we should see a desire. 
And what's he say in verse 25? He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, says it again, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How does the Holy Spirit lead? Right here. Right here. The Holy Spirit will teach and bring to remembrance the words of Jesus. This is one of his main ways of leading, of helping. How will he help you? Bring to remembrance. Now, we're going to see the main context of what he's saying, and then we're going to see the context that applies to us. His primary context of saying this is not to you and me. Primarily, this is to the 11. Those right there who he says, I will bring to remembrance, or the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I've said. They've been with Jesus for three years. Who wrote the Gospels? These men sitting right there, the disciples. That's who wrote, that's who wrote it. Or it was, it was somebody close to one of them. But the authority behind every gospel is one of these men, one of these apostles. And I mean, I, I, you can kind of picture it later after they have the Holy Spirit sitting around a fire. And Luke, a guy named Luke, he was a physician. He wrote the gospel of Luke. But he was very close with Peter and with Paul. But the picture is that they're sitting around a fire, you know, and they're baking fish or whatever. And Peter's just talking about all the things Jesus did. He did this. And I didn't get it then, but here's what he meant. And Luke's like, slow down. (laughs) You know, right? But they were the authority behind the Bible, behind the word. Paul writes that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In Hebrews, it says uh, the word of God is, is uh, or the word, all scripture is inspired by God. That's what it is, inspired and profitable. So it's, it's as if it's God breathed. So the words that they remembered, they wrote down. So for you and me, how does the Holy Spirit bring to remembrance all that he said? He brings to remembrance what you've read. He helps you understand what you read. If you never are in this, it's going to be difficult for the Holy Spirit to do much with you. I'm just going to be honest. He uses the word primarily. The more you know the Bible, the more the Holy Spirit is able to teach and to guide you. You know, and that, what that means is that when you go to the Bible, you know that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know that it can change you. And so you pray before you open it, Holy Spirit, I want you to speak to me. Holy Spirit, teach me, lead me, help me. And then you do your study. Right now, my, my daily devotional, I'm going through read the Bible in a year. So I'm in Revelation and Nehemiah. Um, and I just read a couple chapters here and there. But even before that, I say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me today? How do you need to help me? And sometimes I, I'm struggling with something. I'm like, I need help. And so I'll look in scripture and that's the primary way he helps. And then he'll bring it to remembrance. I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has, has brought to remembrance a passage that may be out there. So I was 22 years old, leading this men's study um, in Russia. I mean, all different kinds of people with different beliefs. And one of the guys says, you know what? I don't think there's such a thing as the spiritual realm. What? You're a Christian? Yeah. You believe the Bible? Yeah. You don't believe in in the spiritual, you know, angels, demons, you know, our our spiritual life after we die? He's like, nope. I'm like, huh. Wait a minute. 
in Exodus. <laughs> and I turn to this very obscure passage where King Saul goes to this necromancer and calls back a prophet who had been dead, Samuel. And Samuel comes back from the dead and walks out and he's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do this. Because it never actually works, by the way. Bringing back the dead doesn't happen. Um, demons can do some of that stuff, but it doesn't actually happen. In this event, God the Father's like, you know what? I'm going to teach Saul a lesson. Samuel, go tell him something. And, and so Samuel actually appears, and Saul's like, huh? And actually, the person that pulled him out, this necromancer, is all freaking out. He's like, this never really happens. This is, I'm totally faking it. And, and this is what happens. So, but, but the Holy Spirit brought to mind this passage, and I'm like, hey, read that. He's like, well, holy cow. <laughs> Look at, but, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. If we're in the word, he can use it not just for your benefit, but for others also. He brings to mind. He reminds you. And here's our last verse, 27. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus finally comforts them. He says, peace. The word there is shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. And the idea of peace, uh, you see the peace a lot in the Old Testament, but in this context, shalom, peace, it means a state of well-being. Just kind of an all around, I'm right with God and I'm right with the world. I'm at peace. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. The follower of Jesus is to be at peace because the Holy Spirit them, in them is going, you're good. Things are, you know, you're, you're, at, you're at rest. You're blessed. You're blessed. We're going to see in a couple weeks the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that are in your life as you're walking in the Spirit. And you can wrap a lot of that up with peace. My peace I give with you, or I give to you. In the Old Testament, when they were looking to this end time, this new covenant, they were thinking a lot of physical peace, world peace, a lack of wars and things like that. And that time is coming. But when Jesus came and he set off this new covenant, he gave a peace despite circumstances. He doesn't just wipe out circumstances and make everything hunky-dory. It's not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. We're still in life, but he gives peace in the midst of life. In fact, this kind of peace is seen most in the midst of trials in the midst of hard times. And then that sets us apart from the world and people go, what's going on there? That's what I want. That's what I want. Maybe you know Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, there's several examples that come to mind. I know a, a couple who is getting close to that retirement age. And they've worked hard, uh, you know, to save up their money, to retire, to, or to do the next thing. You know, they probably won't retire, but to do the next thing God has for them. Um, and because of uh, circumstances, they're getting sued and they, they could lose it all. And with this settlement, they have to put a lot of their assets as collateral. And, and they're not guilty. You know, there was like some paperwork mistakes, but they're not, they're not guilty. These are God-fearing Christians who love the Lord and they may, they may lose it all. <laughs> but they have peace. And their, their process, as they've gone to, uh, to court and, and this stuff, that their process is, you know, what does God want to do through this? Yeah, we've worked our whole lives for this, but, but what's God's plan? How can we, as we go in there, represent Christ? You know, they're looking at their financials and they're pulling it out. And one of the things they see on their financials is, you guys give a lot to that church. Like, 
What's up with this? And they had to start investigating that because they give so much money to church. They're going, what is, what is this about? So they get to talk about who they are in Christ. It, you know, and so God provides those opportunities. Is it hard? Yeah. <laughs> Does it stink? Yeah. Is it scary? Yeah. But there can be a peace. There can be a peace in the midst of that. Plenty of other stories we can tell, and you've known those people that have struggled with, with health, with, with problems with kids, whatever it is. But the Holy Spirit provides peace in the midst of all circumstances. The Holy Spirit provides peace. What's our application for this? The application, my, my heart's desires, I went through this. I mean, this, this is so much fun. For me, looking in this and seeing and just praying this week that the Holy Spirit will show up because that's who we're talking about, that he will act in us. My desire is that from this, you will recognize I need help. And God has provided the help I need by the Holy Spirit. That you can be comforted that if you have by faith accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you have the Spirit. And now, figure it out. Now go, how do I walk in the Spirit? And we're going to help you over the next four weeks. We're starting a series called The Fruitful Life of a Jesus Follower going through John chapter 15. But how do you now live? How do you carry it out? We want to get really practical over the next four weeks. But I hope that as you leave today, you go, okay, I, I feel okay that I can't do it on my own. All right. I'm not supposed to be self-sufficient. I'm not supposed to pick up this big heavy thing and put it in the truck all by myself. I can't do it. So I need help. And now we learn how to walk. And now we learn how to walk. And it's a process. When kids learn how to walk, what do they do? They fall on their face all the time. <laughs> and they're okay with it. And parents are okay with it, right? When the kid trips and falls, they're like, woohoo, yay, try again. That's the same with us as we walk. Let's learn how to walk in the spirit. And when we fall and hit our face, I, I feel like the father picks us up and he goes, good job, good try. Derek, do better next time. <laughs> okay, get up. Now let's work and do better. So let's, let's make a commitment. Let's close in worship and let's seek how we can live walking in the spirit. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the help. God, I've, I've gone through times where I've been apathetic and haven't even had the desire. And I've had to pray the prayer, help me want to want you. And Holy Spirit, you have. Um, I've had times where I've attempted to live the Christian life on my own. Only to be forced to go, Jesus, help and I just thank you so much that you have sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. I thank you that we can be secure in our salvation because of you, Holy Spirit, indwelling us. I thank you that you're, you're willing to help. I thank you that you're patient, that you comfort, that you teach, that you illumine the word to where we don't understand and all of a sudden we'll understand what we need to understand in the moment. Or we'll be able to help others because you bring to mind what is in the word. Holy Spirit, stir in us a passion for Jesus. Please stir in us uh, an ambition to live for you in holiness, but mostly in love that leads to obedience. Stir that in us and then help us learn how to walk. We need help even learning how to apply this. Help us learn how to walk in the spirit and it will lead to fruit. Fruit that you get the glory of and we get to have the blessings of also. We love you. Be honored and glorified as we close in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.